I'll tell you a very short story. The year was 1977. It was a different millennium. Most of you weren't born yet. It was July 3rd, 1977. By the way, you might have noticed uh, that up here we, we, there, was a, there was more like testosterone than normal and <laughs> it's not quite as pretty as it normally is up here. Um, there's like 50 some ladies on a retreat. That's why that's happening, um, so that you know that. But anyhow, the year was 1977. It was July 3rd, 1977. And I was in Bible college, my second year in Bible college, second or third, I can't remember. Um, and my pastor wanted to know if I wanted to speak. It was a fairly good-sized church, and I remember saying yes before I completely understood what I was saying. And I remember, I, this was back in the day when, when they were singing their songs, the pastor and I were sitting up in these chairs over here that were like thrones, kind of, you know. And so I know everybody's staring at us. And I leaned over and I said, oh, do the nerves ever go away? And he looked at me and he said, the butterflies never go away. But you learn to train to fly in, to, for them to fly in formation. And so that's what's been happening for the last 40 years or so. This is Michael Bremer. Mike is in Bible college as well and um, been going through some preaching classes and stuff. And he's home on spring break. So we're going to give him the opportunity um, to speak because someone gave me a chance. And so you never know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> so um, thank you, Mike. And we'll yeah. turn it over to you now. Okay. So um, I'm going to read, pray, and then we'll dig in. Right. <clears throat> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. <clears throat> like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, God, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created anew in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that the message is spoken clearly, and I'd like to pray that each one here will grow to know you more and to ultimately love you better. Amen. <clears throat> one of the key things that we learned and are constantly reminded of at school is context. The best way I can illustrate this is with a story from my freshman year. We had just moved into the new dorm building, and there's two floors, 
and on the second floor, there's this opening where you can see into the Great Lounge. Now, I just had finished talking with a group of people, and as I'm walking by, I notice my best friend, my best friend's now wife. She's sitting on her laptop doing homework, and her back is, you know, facing towards me. It's like, oh, this is too good to pass up. So I texted my best friend, I have a really great shot. Should I go for it? He, he assumed I was talking about asking a girl out. So he texted me back, yeah, go for it. So I ran into my room, grabbed my Nerf gun, ran up there, <laughs> took aim, and I shot right next to her. She jumped, I ducked down, and she starts yelling out this other student's name, and then I popped my head, and then she shot, Michael! It's like, he gave me permission. And then she sent him a very nasty message back. <laughs> See, context determines the meaning. In relation to our passage, who's the author? Why did he write the letter? And how did the original audience receive the message? Well, the author is pretty obvious. It's the Apostle Paul, and he likely was in prison when writing this letter. The audience, it was the church to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is one of the biggest cities in the ancient world. At a population of about 120,000, it's third largest in the Roman Empire. And residing in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, being the Temple of Artemis, or better known as uh, the Greek goddess Diana. She is the Greek goddess of hunting, wildlife, and childbirth, which makes the town familiar with sorcery and prostitution. Now, I got a question. Have you ever seen the face of death? The closest I've ever gotten to that was with my older brother. It was extremely painful to see his pale body all lifeless. We all, like my brother, have been diagnosed with a terminal disease called sin. Paul opens this passage saying, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The Bible says in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. Before I was a Christian, I was a depressed, suicidal, insecure boy with no sense of direction and craved friendship more than anything else. My identity was in how many friends I had. Whether I did whatever it took to gain friends, whether that meant smoking or drinking. As a child, I rebelled as much as possible. I remember this one time when I was seven, I got the allowance not just myself, but my brothers as well, taken away permanently. It was because I was selfish and lazy. I didn't want to do the chores. I mean, how hard is it to take the dishes and put them in a dishwasher? I also used to hate the church. I hated it. It was boring. Everyone had to dress up. 
And then the Sunday school teachers, they were so bubbly, I thought they were on something. <laughs> the next verse tells us that we used to follow in the ways of the, those who are disobedient. The reason I don't normally watch the news is because of how disheartening and depressing it could be at times. I was in first grade when 9-11 took place. It has been said that was the worst tragedy of our time. Sin is the disease no one has been able to cure. The side effects are our destruction from Adam to us now. Who can save us from this condemned body of death? What we could not do on our own, God has done to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verses 4 and 5. But God, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. What this means is God loves you so much that he justified us through his son, Jesus. I'd like to focus in on the word grace for a moment. Webster's Dictionary defines grace as unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration and sanctification. We could not save ourselves from the punishment we deserve. So God came and saved us. However, the Bible wasn't written in modern English. It was written in Greek. The Greek word used here is the word charis, which isn't a commonly used word in the language. A commentary I had read suggested that it had similar meaning to the Hebrew word chesed, which is used all over in the Old Testament describing God's covenant loyalty, his unfailing love. It's hard to grasp the depths of the word in the English language. My understanding is that it's love on steroids. It's super love. It's love that goes above and beyond reasoning. Verse, <clears throat> verse 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In a sense, when Jesus Christ hung on that cross, we were there too. He bore our sins and transgressions on himself, and he died. And since Christ was raised, we too shall be raised in the coming days to glorify God. This means that one day we will be with God and Jesus in heaven. In modern terms, what does that look like? Let's say you owe a debt, what if thousands of dollars, you know, you're super stressed out about it. There's no way that you'd be able to pay it on your own. So you decide, well, let's go for a walk outside, you know. It's a bit chilly out there, but fresh air is good. And as you're walking, you notice there's this guy. He's setting up a, a tripod, setting up to take some pictures. You're like, oh, he looks friendly enough. 
So you walk up and you start talking to them about photography and you ask, how much, how much do you make? He's like, well, actually I make uh, this amount. He's like, wow, if I made that much, I wouldn't be in debt right now. So he asks, how much do you owe? You, you sheepishly tell him the amount and he pulls out his checkbook. He writes a check. Now, you have two options. You can receive the check and be debt-free, or you can reject the check, and the check's not going to do anything for you. In this case, you decide to receive the check. He warns you not to get involved in whatever caused the debt, whether that, for my case, student loans or some, um, some silly reason that you shouldn't have got involved with, <clears throat> he challenges you to share this love and kindness with others. My friends, God has paid your debt and my debt and asks us to share his love and kindness with others. When you sh- receive the check of forgiveness and become a Christian, you are born again and made new. The Bible says, he who is in Christ is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <clears throat> what this means is when you receive Christ's love and forgiveness, you'll never be the same. You can ask anyone in the men's Bible study group that was mentioned last week. And each one will share story after story of how each one of us has changed because of God. For example, I was talking with one of the guys a few years ago, and he shared how back when I first entered youth group back in 2010, I wore all black, no sense of direction, super depressed, to now I'm finishing my junior year at Bible school. (coughs) This reminds me of a story that I learned in church history. How many of you heard the story behind the hymn Amazing Grace? It was composed by a slave trader named John Newton. Back in 1700s and further back, it was common practice to go to Africa, take people, put them on a ship, and take them off for slavery. Now, these ships, they were not a luxurious cruise. They're pretty filthy, disgusting places. And the Africans were placed at the bottom of the boat, forced to deal with whatever fell, whether that was human droppings, um, other types of fluids, and (laughs) etc. So they were bound to catch diseases and get sick. On top of this, they were all chained closely together so they couldn't move around that much. They were treated as animals eventually separated from their friends and families as they're sold into slavery to serve their new masters. One day, God got a hold of John Newton, made him realize his sinful ways. He repented and wrote Amazing Grace. Later, that inspired the revolution in Great Britain with William Wilberforce, meeting his political career to end slavery. He spent many years fighting the common norms and the social injustice. 
Unfortunately, he didn't live to fully see the effects of his political career. But you can go to England today and there's no more legal slaves. Next verses, I think, are some of the most important, not only because it sums up the, the passage, but it gives purpose. Verses 8 through 10, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to do. Having, having noticed, the first line in this passage is repeated earlier. Now, my little Bible college self knows that uh, repeating phrases means something theologically important. It is by grace you have been saved. God's grace is how we're saved. Genesis says Abraham believed God and was accredited to him as righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we are saved in the same way. We believe in Christ and by God's immeasurable grace are saved. This phrase is in the perfect tense showing past action with continuing results. Once saved, always saved. Making Jesus Christ the most important person in history. There has never been anyone like him nor will there ever be anyone like him. Jesus' life is the most studied and ridiculed from scientists to historians to skeptics, all the way to simple people like you and me. One of those skeptics was a man named Lee Strobel. He is the author of Case for Christ. He has also written Case for Faith and Case for Creator. Back while he was doing his study on what will be the Case for Christ, he learned that there is more historical documents supporting the life, death, and later resurrection of Jesus than any historical document in history. Nothing comes close. Some of you might get confused. Why do these verses include words such as grace, faith, and good works all together? Now, For those taking notes, this is crucially important. You cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot buy your way into heaven. And you cannot climb your way into heaven. In fact, the Bible tells us that our works are filthy rakes before the Lord. We are saved by grace for good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved by grace for good works. What does that mean exactly? Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, You are are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot remain hidden. We are called to be a light in this dark world. Let's look back at verse 10 in Ephesians 2. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created anew in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The whole reason I chose this passage back at school was because it has my favorite Greek word in it, poema, which 
It's where we get our English word poem from. In Greek, the word literally means created things. My favorite translation of the word is found in the New Living Translation. For we are God's masterpiece. Being an artist, I like to look at the details from a creator's perspective. My whole family, we all have some artistic ability. For here, I have a picture my sister did. I don't know if she considers this to be her masterpiece, but it's pretty darn good. There are generations of artists have created masterpieces, such as Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, um, Picasso. Um, And all these artworks have captivated the human imagination. So your life and my life, in a sense, we're all God's poems. We're God's masterpiece. How does this relate to being a light? Well, I've seen over and over again in ministries such as Celebrate Recovery, Youth Group, Sunday School, and Billy Graham's Crusades, for example, the lives God has changed. And every change, you see God's light shine. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10 tells us, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all, in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. How do we live as a light to this dark world? It's through good works. It's through helping people. I mean, my very generic answer is there's a lot of people in this country that love coffee, right? How hard would it be when you see someone struggling to be like, hey, let's, let's go have a cup of coffee and discuss this. Discuss it over, listen, grow closer together in fellowship, and I guarantee you're just a light to that one person. How I experienced this in my own life, because I'm not really that big on coffee, during my, the first semester of my sophomore year, I noticed there's this one student. She was downcast and always seemed to be upset about something. So I got the courage to see how she was doing. We discussed things, and eventually she shared her testimony with me. And... All she needed was someone that was willing to listen to her. She didn't need someone to say, you need, you need this, you need this, you need to get your life in order, you need to fix everything, you need to do this, this, and this. And she just needed someone to be like Jesus. She needed someone to show compassion and kindness. I mean, how hard is it to talk to someone like her? For me, it wasn't hard at all. I'm, all I mainly had to do was listen and occasionally just give some wisdom. When I was a teenager, that's all I needed. That's all I wanted. 
All I wanted was a friend that would listen. Luckily, God was on my side and he directed my path to where I am now. But how easily could it have gone the other way? Not sure where it rates, but it's pretty high up there. Um, one of the leading causes of death amongst teenagers, our young people, is suicide. <clears throat> How easily would it be just to come alongside one of those people, show you care, show you love, to be like Jesus? When Jesus walked on this earth, he was the light of the world. He says that in the Gospel of John, but he also showed it through his actions. Healed the sick, cured the leopard, was a friend to all, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And the greatest deed of all, he sacrificed his life to pay for the price for our sin and iniquity. So we can do the same. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. I'm not saying this church, but maybe the church as a whole has just gotten to a place of being comfortable. The church has not always been in that place of comfortability. You can look back on history and see the impact that the church has had as a whole. The reason we have orphanages today is because a Christian saw the need for it and started it. In the Roman Empire, it was completely common and accepted that if you did not want your baby, you just left it on the street. And then Christians came along and took those child, children, raised them, adopted them, but it's not just the orphanages. The medical field. I'm not sure exactly what year it started or when it ended, but sometime in the 2nd to the 3rd century, there was a plague that struck the Roman Empire. It was so bad that a lot of the Romans were like, I don't want to catch this, so I'm, I'm, I'm out, I'm out, you know. But Christians, they stayed behind. They cared for the sick. The reason we have public education today is because some monk saw the need for it and started educating kids to read mainly the Bible and to write. I can continue on and on through lots of things that church has done. But if you want more information, I would highly recommend the book, Who Is This Man? by John Ortberg. How is God calling you to be a light today? Earlier in spring break, I had the opportunity to help a friend and his wife move into their new home. All it took was a bit of my time, some elbow grease, and I got to fellowship with some great people. I mean, how hard is it? Being a light doesn't have to be all just action, 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 action. It doesn't have to be, oh, I have to go out and do something. It could be a simple act of forgiving someone that you've been needing to forgive.
I understand that struggle. I struggled that with a number of years in reference to my first stepdad. Now, for those who know my story, you know that he was a very physically abusive person. And I wrestled to forgive him for many years, but in 2014, God laid it so heavily on my heart that it could not be ignored. And one day when he picked up his kids, it's like, okay, I made it my mission to stand in front of him and say, I forgive you for all that you have done against me. He was dumbfounded. He was really surprised. He's like, wow. He commended me for being the bigger, more mature person. And he really needed to hear that. Okay. So, I jumped. Okay. Um, so, we're going to play a video clip real quick to help illustrate the transformation. Play the clip. position of, you know, living in sin, having our hands in our pockets, but then God came into our lives and changed it. <clears throat> so, maybe this is your first time here. 
I challenge you to take that first step, to receive that gift of forgiveness, to follow Jesus. But I warn you, it's going to be a very unexpected ride. And for those who are committed followers, I challenge you, how can you be light today, this week, or this year? Right, let's pray. Father, I, I thank you again for this opportunity, and I pray that as we go out about this week, that we will just continue to be a light in this world. And I pray for all the people that that they just realize that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you what, that song fit really good with what Mike had just talked about, that we're free because, to serve him, um, to love him. Um, I just, I, I'd like to, we don't normally do this, but I would like to give Michael a hand. Um, that brought back a lot of memories, um, um, not the least of which was in 1977, I had hair. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to thank I want to thank Michael for doing that, um, and who knows where God is going to move and lead, and and uh, what stories He's going to be telling, you know, 40 years from now. Interesting that passage we read. It said it fits so well with that video, and and here's why. It said that we have these good works to do, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know what that literally says? He prepared them in advance in order that we might walk in them. That's what it literally says. The purpose of prepared in advance works is not to work in them. It's to walk in them. And that video really displayed that nicely. It's like God made the path. Let's just walk it by faith and allow him to do the stuff in and through us, to be saved, to serve. So thank you again, Michael. I'm going to close in prayer and, um, and make sure you encourage Mike. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that that amazing love, that grace that we heard about today spared no expense, paid the price for us so that we could be free, so that our chains could fall off, so that we could serve you. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for Michael and for his journey, for, for what he's been going through. Thank you for all that knowing how it's shaping him. Um, and, and just thank you for his heart for you. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.